A few years ago, I saw a very popular meme surface on the internet regarding the difference between introverts and extroverts. The concept was that in both cases, people have an inner battery, and that the difference between introverts and extroverts is how they recharge. According to this meme, introverts needed to be alone to recharge, whereas extroverts must be in social situations regularly to feel that their battery is full. So the question is, where does this come from, and is this a real thing? My own personal experiences tell a very different story. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. For as long as I can remember, ever since I was a young child, I was very socially anxious. I would have been described as a rather intense introvert. I had all the classic hallmark traits of an introvert, very few friends. I tended to be quite a loner in my hobbies and activities, preferred to explore the world by myself and just generally be alone as much as possible. This made my childhood experience a rather lonely one, but at the same time, I somehow felt safer and more comfortable when I was alone than when I was in social situations. And for me at least, the level of anxiety seemed to be directly related to the number of eyes that were on me. If I was with one friend, I felt pretty comfortable. Two friends, I felt okay. Three friends, I start to wear thin pretty quickly. Four friends, I start to become quite anxious. I felt pretty comfortable in a crowd of complete strangers who didn't know me and weren't paying any attention to me, but I avoided parties actively because of the threat, the risk of needing to interact with a lot of people and feeling very, very anxious as a result. The worst possible situation I could imagine was giving a speech up in front of class in grade school with 30 people who knew me judging me, at least in my mind. And this was a very anxious situation. Going on stage in front of the whole school was the stuff of nightmares. And this experience defined my entire childhood. By the time I reached high school, I began to recognize that this was going to be a very limiting factor on my life. The fact that I felt so socially anxious meant that I couldn't really make friends easily, but more importantly, it meant that I felt incredibly uncomfortable asking a girl out. So suddenly my biological drives and urges were in direct competition with my introverted tendencies. It became apparent to me very quickly that I would either need to find a way to overcome my introverted limitations or that I was going to be doomed to be alone forever, which was simply unacceptable. So I began a plan of self-development. This was probably the earliest form of self-development I ever experienced in my life. I didn't even know what self-development was. I didn't know if change was possible. I just got the vague sense that the only way I was going to get through this problem was to go towards it. So around junior year of high school, I joined the radio station. 
got my disc jockey broadcasters radio license in the US and during the school lunch hour every day most days I would be manning the radio station console choosing music playing songs mixing some tunes and regularly going on the air to make small news announcements small public service announcements or simply to announce the upcoming songs now this was useful it put me in a position where I knew someone somewhere was listening to me and I knew in my mind that I was somehow a bit exposed and vulnerable in some social way and as a result it put me outside of my comfort zone and in that sense it was useful but I also wasn't directly confronted with these people that were listening to me. I couldn't see them. It was all too easy to imagine that they weren't even there. And of course, this is a one-way conversation, much like this podcast. And in fact, this reminds me very much of that experience. In essence, I'm talking and I'm hearing myself talk. There's no real sense of fear about who's going to be listening to it, and exactly what they're going to be feeling at that moment, what type of judgy thoughts they might have, I can pretty easily let go of that. So I pretty quickly needed to escalate the situation. I needed to take my DJing live, where I now had to play music in front of a crowd at the local uh, school dance, or even at a wedding, for example, and occasionally say something on the microphone to the crowd, although again, it was very much announcement oriented here's what you need to know here's what's coming up next please head to the buffet very very simple things again not really interactive and therefore not really a vulnerable situation after doing this for a while I realized that I needed to make things even more difficult and I joined the school's speech and debate club which was exceptionally well run the school had great teachers and great coaches who could teach us how to speak and how to debate. And somehow I instantly knew that this was going to be the most uncomfortable and therefore probably the best place for me to grow. And in fact it was. Now I was in front of people speaking and not just speaking we were having very confrontational speech with the opposing team and there are judges watching and listening and scoring us not so much on a personal level as in this guy is worth x but more of course on our speaking ability so again i could find that this was a very useful way for me to be uncomfortable and to grow my sense of risk and perspective on what it means to be on stage in front of people and what kind of vulnerability that entails. In truth, not so much. People are generally pretty good and even if they're heckling you from the crowd, they're doing it as part of the show for fun rather than out of some sense of pure aggression. At least I was fortunate enough to never encounter such an obvious situation. And the beautiful thing that I found from putting myself in this situation was really twofold. 
One was that I got to see my skills improve. I was more comfortable speaking in front of people. I was more comfortable with confrontations. I was more comfortable with being scored and judged. I was simply more comfortable on stage and in a position where I felt somewhat vulnerable and exposed. And this continued to grow. From one thing to another, I was invited to more challenging situations where I'd be put on stage in front of more people or in more complex situations. One of the most memorable experiences I had was that I was actually invited to explore judging, to assist at a varsity event and went to the event without any of my materials, my briefcase, no suit, no notepad, nothing, nothing for debating. I was simply there to assist the judges. And because one of the teammates became sick, I was suddenly asked if I could please be a particular girl's partner. I still remember her name was Marie, a really lovely young woman. And we had never debated before together, ever. And I had no suit, no material. I was completely unprepared. And suddenly I found myself competing at a high level with very high level teams at a high level event, fairly advanced in the competitive stages as they go through a sort of uh, hierarchical showdown across the schools as they progress through the season, all the way up to the semifinals and the finals. This was essentially the semifinals. And I was suddenly in a situation where I had zero evidence to base my debates on, which was the entire point of debate. I had to simply make things up. I had to simply speak on my feet, find a way to be as convincing as possible without a shred of evidence to back it up. And somehow, absolutely miraculously, I won the entire tournament. And this kind of experience kept challenging my limiting beliefs about myself, about my abilities, about my ability to grow, even about my ability to enjoy the experience of being on stage. And this was the second big change that I saw. Number one was skill. Number two was my comfort level. This was the first time I actually experienced enjoying the two-man debate experience. And I was really amazed to notice that when I was on stage, simply expressing my thoughts and focused on the performance and focused on engaging with the audiences and the judges and working directly with my partner and working directly against the opposing team, without the distraction of evidence and without the distraction of speech preparation, without the distraction of a point-by-point -point rebuttal of everything that our competitors were saying, I actually enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the process of speaking. I enjoyed the process of thinking. I enjoyed the process of communicating. And this began to shape and reshape my perspectives on being on stage. Soon after this, I was asked to play a part in a stage play, which I really didn't want to do. It was for a the mother of the girlfriend of my best buddy, Jeff. 
And so I really couldn't say no. And he was going to be in the play as well. It was actually The Sound of Music. For those of you that are familiar, there is a main role, which is uh, the Captain Von Trapp, who was my buddy Jeff. And I was asked to play his best friend, Max, who had a relatively small part. And I thought, sure, I guess I can do that. My buddy Jeff is going to be there. My part's pretty small. I'm not really comfortable getting on stage, but I think I can handle it. And I'm ready for that slightly increased challenge. Now, for those of you that follow my work in self-development principles in general, this is known as progressive overload. In weightlifting, progressive overload is the process of gradually increasing the load and the intensity of the weight that you are using in your workouts so that your strength can grow with it. And this concept works everywhere in life, psychological self-development, social confidence, bodybuilding, pretty much anything that you wanna grow, you're going to need to gradually turn up the heat to keep that growth moving forward. And for me, a stage performance in front of over a thousand people was going to be by far my greatest test yet. And here's where things got really interesting. About three weeks before the show's opening, I was suddenly asked by the show producer if I wouldn't mind switching roles with my buddy Jeff to become the role of Captain Von Trapp and he would become the role of Max. Now, I had never seen the movie Sound of Music. To me, one role and another role were going to be pretty much the same. How clueless I was. I agreed to the swap. I thought it would make the show easier. They really, really thought that it was a good idea. Even though I really hadn't spent much time learning my role as Max, I thought, oh, well, why not? I'm going to learn one role anyway. Why not learn the one they think makes the most sense? What I did not realize was that the role of Captain Von Trapp was pretty much the main role or one of the main roles next to Maria, the female lead. I didn't realize that there was going to be a lot of talking, a lot of talking, hour and a half of talking, five songs that I had to learn how to sing and memorize, most of them solos. And on top of everything, there was going to be a romantic kiss on stage. None of this was made known to me. I went into this agreement, committing to this role, absolutely clueless. But things got even worse. Because on show night, I realized that this theater was absolutely sold out. It was absolutely full. And there was no microphone. There was no way for me to project my voice as a 16-year-old kid out to the audience. This was a horrific situation for me. As you can imagine, things didn't go so great. I managed to remember all my lines amazingly out of pure panic of crazy levels of memorization uh, for three solid weeks. And I managed to hit every song, including my solos, pretty much perfectly. 
truth be told, my performance was far better than I really would have expected of myself. But the fact that I had no idea how to project my voice, the fact that I had just cram learned so much and was just reading everything off a script in my head, the fact that I was not prepared for the size of the audience, the fact that no one could hear me pretty much except the front row made the experience pretty miserable for everyone involved, especially me. As you can imagine, my confidence actually took a pretty deep dive after this. I felt like a failure. I felt like I really wasn't good on stage. I found the entire experience so intensely uncomfortable and forced that I really never wanted to be on stage again. I really felt that I just wasn't cut out for it. In fact, the only good thing I can say about this experience was that I felt incredibly fortunate that it had not been done at my own school in front of an audience of my own schoolmates. It was done at some neighboring middle school with a lot of people, a lot of people who I didn't know. So in a sense, I was spared some sense of direct social embarrassment but I still felt like an absolute failure when it came to my performance on stage. And in many ways, this drove me back into a very introverted mindset. Now, I wanna comment on something at this point because this ties very directly into my own experiences of my progression along the spectrum of introverted versus a more extroverted personality mindset. At the most introverted end of the spectrum, my perception of social situations was that they represented a risk. They represented a risk of embarrassment. They represented stress. They represented a huge amount of effort in order to perform or in order to be accepted or in order to deal with my own fears of rejection or any sort of social anxiety that I felt the need to suppress. That was hard work. And it was hard emotional work specifically. When I was at my more confident end of the spectrum, even in high school, I already began to feel this sense of security, this sense of, I'm going to be okay. I can stand up in front of a speech and debate crowd and I can still kill it, even when I come totally unprepared and even when I have not a shred of evidence to back up what I'm saying on stage. And thank God no one called me out on it. All the way to this opposite extreme of seeing myself as a miserable failure who caused a lot of people unhappiness in wasting their 10 bucks or whatever they paid. Now in the end, this gave me both a positive and a negative realization. The positive realization was that with effort and with some dedication and by pushing myself a little bit further outside of my comfort zone every day, I could in fact change my sense of social anxiety. It wasn't easy and it wasn't comfortable, but it was really great to know 
that my mind was not a prison, that this sense of introversion was not a death sentence that I was going to be stuck with for the rest of my life if I chose not to. On the other hand, after this incredibly terrible experience being on stage and the incredible feeling of failure that I experienced after that, I really had no desire to challenge myself socially anymore. If you know anything about psychology, you've probably encountered the concept of flooding. Flooding is the experience of intentionally putting yourself into a situation where you are intensely uncomfortable. You could describe it as abject terror. As an example, if you were fearful of spiders, sticking your hand in a bucket of spiders is flooding. The, the reality of flooding is, if things go well for you, you can make great strides forward in conquering that fear because your brain realizes that this huge threat that you perceived is in fact a fantasy. It's not real. And in fact, you will probably be fine in this situation. On the other hand, if things go bad, even a little bit, as they did for me in my uh, first stage performance experience, uh, you feel as though all of your beliefs have been validated and you will be even more certain that your fears were absolutely valid all along. This unfortunate perspective stuck with me for years, possibly even decades afterwards. I just felt absolutely zero motivation to challenge myself socially I felt that I was absolutely no good on stage, that public speaking was something that I never wanted to experience again, and as a result, I ended up pretty much at the introverted end of the spectrum. But at this point, I was a reasonably functional introvert. I could work on a team, in a company, in a corporate environment, I could interact with my peers, I could interact with my bosses, I had no desire to lead, I had no desire to be on stage, I had no desire to stand out in any way, but this didn't seem to interfere directly with my ability to do my job. It did, however, still interfere with my social life. I still felt incredibly awkward with the idea of hanging out with people that I didn't know, being in large groups, being in large social situations. I felt drained in those situations, very much like the classic definition of an introvert. And I actually very much embraced that idea that as an introvert, I just needed to be alone as much as possible to recharge my batteries. Somehow this seemed enough for about 20 years of my life. At which point I once again found myself dissatisfied with this sense of limitation. This feeling that I simply couldn't connect as well as other people. This sense that somehow that was holding me back from wonderful opportunities in my world, including dating opportunities. I think sex is an incredibly powerful driver here. For those 20 years where I felt unmotivated to change, I was always in a relationship. 
It wasn't until the relationship ended that I suddenly felt this incredible need to sort out my social skills, to be able to connect with people, to become fearless at social interactions, particularly when it came to connecting with women. And suddenly I wanted to develop social skills again. This time I took a slightly different approach. I had already decided that I was really no good on stage, but I knew that I was gaining some benefit from the experience of being in that uncomfortable situation. So I ended up joining and actually creating a performing arts group based on Japanese taiko drumming. If you're unfamiliar with Japanese taiko, it's these giant drums that are played in a very aggressive way. The best thing about that particular style of performance was that it was always done as a group, which meant that although I was on stage quite a bit, as the group became more and more popular, we were doing up to 60 performances a year, but I was essentially never alone. I was not the only person that eyes were on, and I didn't have to speak. I didn't have to project my voice, and the drums were damn loud. Suddenly, I was back in a situation where I could challenge my limiting beliefs around my social skills. I could put myself regularly and consistently back in the gym in terms of emotional resilience and my own psychology around social anxiety. And because I was regularly outside of my comfort zone, on stage, in front of people, being watched, being judged in some way, being evaluated, I grew. I grew regularly. At 60 performances a year, I performed over 500 times in the 10 years that I presided as the general manager and founder of the club. So let's step back here and recap for a minute. At the beginning of my life story, I was quite deeply socially anxious and I identified as deeply introverted. Got sick of that, challenged myself, and through some experience as a radio station disc jockey and in speech and debate club, made some great strides forward in terms of my personal self-confidence. I was very aware that my sense of social anxiety began to fade away. I was much more confident in social situations. I was confident with unknowable and uncontrollable experiences that I would be able to handle them. And then through the experience of performing on stage with a really unfortunate set of circumstances, I ended up taking a big step backwards in terms of my social anxiety. And I was once again in a place where I saw social situations as representing a huge risk. For quite some period of time, I sat in that place until I decided I was sick of it and I wanted to try moving forward again, began very gradually challenging myself again on an on-stage situation, but much more safely, with friends, without talking, much less being put on the spot, and found my sense of confidence grow quite steadily again. So it's very fascinating to watch my 
social anxiety swing back and forth like a pendulum between extremely highly socially anxious where I'd really rather not see people pretty much ever to a place where I actually enjoyed being with people. I enjoyed the social interactions. I enjoyed the randomness of being around people. I even enjoyed the possibility of confrontation and the possibility of being called out or being put into some situation that I was entirely unprepared for. Now, during this experience of running the Japanese drumming club, I was dating again. I'd met a girl quite early on as soon as I began challenging myself and putting myself back into social situations. I naturally met someone and I naturally ended up entering back into a relationship. So during this period, while I was continually growing my sense of social self-confidence on stage while people were watching me, I did not feel the need to challenge myself in one-to-one -one interactions, particularly talking to strangers or approaching a woman I didn't know. I simply never felt the need to develop these skills while I was in a relationship. So this created a rather interesting dynamic for me. On the one hand, I was developing a sense of social self-confidence in being on stage. On the other hand, I really wasn't progressing forward in my comfort with strangers and my comfort with one-to-one -one situations with people I didn't know, most especially in my comfort with expressing attraction. Somehow, I was very aware that these different scenarios and social contexts represented very different levels of risk to me going on stage particularly with friends, doing something that I'd done hundreds of times before, felt entirely safe and even became tremendous fun. But at exactly the same time, the idea of walking up to a woman that I didn't know, that I found attractive and saying, hey, you're really cute, was absolutely terrifying. This is very significant to me. And the reason it's significant is that it shows me how my mind could develop my perception, my concept, my evaluation of risk in different social situations very, very differently. I think if you stop and look at your own specific fears and the situations in which you feel most socially anxious, you can probably see a similar characteristic. Some situations seem intensely scary. Other situations you may feel completely fine with. Whereas if you ask someone else the same question, you may get an entirely different answer. In fact, I have done this. When I ask people, where are you most socially anxious? Is it with strangers? Is it with people you know? Is it with family? Where do you feel that you stand the most risk if you make a mistake and uh, fail in some way? And I think this really gives us the greatest understanding of what the difference between introversion and extroversion is. I'm pretty sure I've told you enough about my life story in order to illustrate some of the changes that my own social anxiety went through, how I challenged it, and how it responded in different ways simply by changing 
my perception, my assessment of what constituted risk and what didn't. Today I've got a regular program in which I'm continually challenged and growing my own social confidence. And I do it in a very directed and organized way, which I really, really enjoy. It brings me incredible satisfaction to be able to connect with people, complete strangers in completely random situations and places. I love the excitement around simply not knowing what's gonna happen when I walk up to someone in a cafe or on the street or in the park or in a store. And it's one of the most entertaining things that I do. And as I keep practicing this, I can see my sense of social confidence keeps growing. More specifically, my fear of something going wrong that I can't handle continues to diminish. This is where things get really fascinating. When I was in high school, around sophomore year, I was given the MBTI test. If you're familiar with it, it's referred to as the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. It's an assessment of your personality type. And at that time, I was evaluated as a classification of INTJ. The MBTI test has 16 different classifications based on four different categories. In my case, I rated as a very strong introvert. The I stands for introvert. And it described me to a T. About five years ago, I retook the test after quite a few different attempts to overcome my social anxiety and feel comfortable in various social situations. And my MBTI classification came up very different. In fact, quite different from what I expected. I was classified as an ENTP. In terms of the Myers-Briggs test, this means that I'd somehow transition from being strongly introverted to becoming strongly extroverted, much more comfortable in social situations, essentially fearless. However, this is the interesting thing. The battery analogy simply doesn't apply to me. Now that I'm classified as an extrovert, I don't feel any neediness to be around other people. I don't feel like I need to be in social situations to recharge. And in fact, I don't feel that being alone helps me recharge any faster either. I simply feel like I'm recharging all the time, no matter what situation I'm in. Whether I'm alone or with other people makes no difference whatsoever. And this is the key. Let's go back to the original question. Is there such a thing as introversion and extroversion in a scientifically accessible way? And does it have anything to do with recharging a battery and energy? What I want to propose here is that the situation is actually the opposite. Introverted people, extroverted people, human beings, we don't have a battery that we recharge by being alone or by being with people. We're not pulling energy out of the air to refill ourselves. The way that I look at it 
as long as we are in a naturally comfortable state, we recharge. When we're in an uncomfortable state where we experience particularly a high degree of stress, then we feel a drain. So I'd like to flip this internet meme paradigm on its head. And I wanna suggest that instead of thinking of it like recharging a battery, think of it like stress drains you. And for what we would identify as an introverted person or an extroverted person, that stress measurement is different. For an introverted person, that stress is created by unknown, uncontrolled social situations where you feel like you have to perform, you feel high degree of anxiety and risk around the possibility of doing something wrong or being socially rejected or judged in some way. Whereas an extroverted person feels stress when they are alone. And the reason they feel stress is that we're mammals. As mammals, we're simply designed to seek the company of other people. As long as you don't see other people as a threat, a natural mammal behavior would be to desire to be in a group simply because you're safer, you have better access to resources, there's a more likely opportunity to find a mate, a mating partner to protect your children. There's a lot of strength in numbers and this defined the evolution of the mammal brain. As mammals, humans have all those drivers as well. So perhaps our most natural state is simply to desire the company of others. I want you to notice though, that either end of the spectrum, either the extreme introvert or the extreme extrovert have unhealthy qualities. If you're an extreme introvert or you know someone who's an extreme introvert, and that means you have an unnatural fear of social situations. You have a sense of risk that goes above and beyond what you're likely to actually experience in normal social situations. And this is holding you back and limiting you from building the connections that can significantly improve your life. At the same time, if you are an extreme extrovert, you feel an intense neediness for those connections a complete dependence on the people around you and a discomfort for being alone. In a sense, that suggests that you have very little self-confidence that you can handle life without the assistance of others. This can't be particularly helpful in achieving your life goals either. Where you really wanna be is right in the middle, where you feel absolutely fine all by yourself, without the need to depend on anyone else to move forward in your life or to feel security. And at the same time, you feel absolutely wonderful when you're with other people, no sense of anxiety or concern, and you feel like you can easily be a wonderful part of your society. If the presence or the absence of other people in your world is causing you enormous stress, I really think it's time to step back and ask why. Neither of those situations makes any sense to me. And as a result, the concept of the introvert and the extrovert feel like 
unnatural extremes as to what our goal should be as people and what we're looking for in our social world. I hope this gives you something to think about and a new lens through which to evaluate your life and your life goals, particularly your social connections and how you want to develop your own social world. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.